have just two fairly short verses today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read verse 32 and 33. I know next Sunday morning we're going to be recognizing those who are uh, graduating. I'll get a lot of recognition this year. But uh, I just had you all on my mind. Um, of course, there's some who are graduating. There's others that are moving up and, and a variety of different things that are going on. And there's some really good advice in these two short verses that I want to talk about today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 32 and 33. Really, the main thrust of this is the end of 32, but I'll start and read the whole verse. It says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me, if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And then verse 33 says, Be not deceived, evil communication corrupt good manners. Or you may know it better when it says, Bad company corrupts good morals. So I want to look at these two concepts today and these two verses and what they had to tell us about how we should live and how we should commune and get along with other people and the views that we have toward life and really the answering the great eternal question, how should we live? What should we be doing um, in our lives? And these are very important things, not only for those who are graduating or uh, moving on to different aspects of life, but really for all of us to top, stop and really take an account and say, what is it that I'm doing? Why am I here? What is a purpose and what direction should I be going? And there's important admirations in here for us to do certain things and to refrain from doing other things. And that's a common theme that I have tried to point out all through Scripture. So going back to verse 32 at the end there, it says, uh, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now this is a phrase that actually comes out of um, Isaiah, and we'll read that here in just a minute. But just to set the, the context here, because I know I'm picking up in the middle of actually quite a long explanation by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. And he's working to correct a number of incorrect doctrines. And just in case we think that there's all kinds of problems in the church today, and there is, this has been going on since the beginning. We're talking only a few years, really, in the grand scheme of things after Christ was crucified dead, buried, and resurrected, that already we have false doctrines creeping into the church and all types of manner of beliefs that have to be corrected. And this is one that the Apostle Paul is trying to correct, and one of the issues that was really facing a lot of folks in this time was that there was a belief that there was no afterlife. And Paul is making a very impassioned, very important argument that not only is there an afterlife, but that Jesus Christ died came back to life and is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and that we must also believe that there is something that comes after this. And I've mentioned this a couple of times recently as well. This is just the beginning. All of us will spend an eternity somewhere. And the scriptures make it abundantly clear. There are only two options. There is not a third option. There's not a halfway option. And one of them is not pleasurable. Our, our media and our stories like to depict this as somehow this is something comical, that there's you know, a little red man with a pitchfork and we all get to go down to hell and have a party. That's not the way it works. 
The scriptures make it abundantly clear. It's a place of torment. It's a place of fire and burning. It's dark and you can't see anything, yet it burns so hot that everything is burning. And then this lasts for eternity because that is the place of punishment where there is complete separation from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the opposite of that is what we call heaven, and that is actually being present with the Lord in paradise, in eternity with Him. So there is an afterlife of this one right here. It's easy to dismiss sometimes because we can't see it. We can't experience it. But let us not be so foolish to go through our lives thinking that this is all that there is because there certainly is more. And so Paul gives us this argument saying we must understand that there is an afterlife, that Christ did die and come back to life, and that we too, after we die, will go somewhere, and we cannot dismiss this. And he goes on to make this hyperbolic statement, if you will, let us just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now that's not what he's saying we should do. He is using this as a way to teach and a way to emphasize this the way we should not live. And that phrase... Uh, comes from an account that we see in Isaiah. And you can turn there if you want. I'll be there for just a minute. Isaiah 22, 12 through 13. Now let me just make sure I set the stage here again because I'm jumping right in the middle of another story that's a little bit complex. What we have here is Isaiah who is warning the Israelites, the Jewish people, that they're going to be captured. And that the only way to escape this capture in certain death is to turn to the Lord. The Persians are coming at this time. And so they're being told how to avoid annihilation, being told how to avoid death. And they partially listen. That chapter explains uh, Isaiah 22, that they go and they fortify the city. They tear down houses to rebuild the walls. They collect water. They get ready for the siege that's about ready to happen. And then we pick up in verse 12. And in that day did the Lord of hosts call to weeping and mourning and to baldness and girding it with sackcloth. And this idea that is being presented here is that God told them, you must repent and return to him if you want to be saved. If you want God to intervene and avoid the fact that your entire livelihood and your lives themselves are being brought to an end, you had better repent and make it known to God that you are repenting. Very clear instructions. But that's not what they did. Verse 13. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And so God very clearly told them through the prophet, you have an opportunity to overcome this issue. You can escape the certain destruction that you're going to face. You can live into God and do the right things. You can repent and God will save you from the army that's about to crush you if you repent. And instead, the people decide we're just going to kill all the cows. We'll drink all the wine. We're just going to have a big party because we're going to eat and drink everything we want to because tomorrow nothing can save us. We're going to die. And so now we see the context for when Paul, the Apostle Paul, later on is telling the Corinthians church, this is not how this works. Our Lord and Savior has given us instructions for how we should live, and we shouldn't just look at life and say, well, let's have a good time because tomorrow we're going to die. 
The sad part about this is most of our culture lives this way today, don't we? We don't really think about the future. We don't think about the impacts of what we're doing. Rather, we're just going to consume everything we can while we have it, enjoy everything we can because, you know, life's short, live it up. And this culture, this idea, while nothing new, seems to be speeding up in a way that's really disturbing today. We see it all around our culture in our society. And I think there's a variety of reasons for this. Flip back over, if you will, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be there the rest of the morning, I believe. But I wanted to set that stage in Isaiah. So 1 Corinthians 15, again, is telling us and quoting the Old Testament passage, basically giving us an idea that this is not a proper way of behavior. We shouldn't just be going about our business because tomorrow we die. And here's what I want to point out. There is, as I said, life after death. And what you do here actually matters. When we don't believe there's any life after death, we again... Why wouldn't we just enjoy life? Think about that. If there really were no consequences, if there really was nothing to live for, if there was no uh, reunification with Christ at the end, if there was no penalty of sin to have to pay, then why wouldn't we just go out and live like we want to and enjoy every single minute of life, squeeze everything we can out of it, do whatever we want to, put people down, steal, take, do whatever we want to, because there is no consequence. And we see that our society, again, is pushing this really hardly on us. Because most people, as I told the young children this morning when I had the sling, they don't believe there's a God. And if they do, they certainly don't believe what he says. And as a result, we just live our lives willing to do whatever we want to do, to get whatever we want, because we don't care about anything else. If there is no hope of life in the afterlife, if there is no concern about mortality, that brings with it this idea that there is no value in humanity. If we're just animals, animals live and die, animals eat each other, all different types of things, then what does it matter? What does it matter if I attack somebody else? What does it matter if I put someone down? The problem with this idea is that life just becomes worthless, and we value it very little. And with uncertainty about the future, we tend to just press for enjoyment now. You ever been like that in your life? Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, so I'm going to enjoy today. Sometimes we know that a rough day is coming, so we try and take it a little easy the day before. But if we had no hope of an eternal future, then there is no guidance for how we should live today. And we see this all across our society in many, many ways. I want to talk about a few of them for just a minute. We are pushing dangerous narratives in our society today that I think we need to address. And I really think the source of it is because we don't believe there's an afterlife. And we've lost the focus. You know, as a culture, our society was founded on some very important, very commonly held Christian beliefs. Now, I won't go so far to say that all of our founders were true believers, but many of them, most all of them, believed in core tenant values that are founded on a Christian and Hebrew tradition that tell us that there's a point to life, that there's an afterlife, and we better do something right here, and that every one of us has value in God's sight. 
And we have thrown that out in our culture largely today. And as a result of that, we just have, you know, unrestricted drug usage. In fact, we're, we'll give you the supplies you need so that you can go around and inject or take whatever you want to. And then when we see you leaving, sleeping on the street with covered in sores and your own vomit and mess, we'll just say, well, that's, that's their choice. They're, I'm sure they're happy. That's a culture that doesn't value life because that isn't truly living. Does that make sense? Because we have no understanding of the future, because we don't understand that there are consequences for this life and the one to come, we allow people to live in such utter hopelessness that it destroys their very lives, and it is a real problem. We let people live in horrible squalor, and it's sad. Most of us may not interact with folks who are in that situation, but when you do and you stop and step back and look at it, it'll break your heart. I was a little callous to it probably when I began my career, my former career, but as my career went on, it just broke my heart more. I would see it. And I would see this person who I'd pick up off the street time and time and time again. One gentleman had, uh, just for one single charge, been to jail 64 times. I don't think he was happy. I don't think he was being fulfilled. I don't think he was living a life that had a purpose that said there's an end to it. He was just eating and drinking and being merry. And that's really disappointing. Other things in our society, we're just allowing people to live off of other people take their income and use it however they want to. We're allowing people to choose whatever sex they want to be, whatever moment they feel like it being. We're letting people say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Up can be down and down can be up and two plus two can equal five. We've destroyed any semblance of anything that holds us together or binds us together. We have no morals. We have, in many countries, it hasn't come here to this point, just on-demand suicide. If you want to go kill yourself, or just go to the doctors. In fact, in some countries, they're suggesting that, like pushing it on you. Here, take this. Just be done with it. You're too expensive for us. This is a serious, serious problem, and it comes from people who do not understand and do not believe that there is a God and that there is a place that we go. And when we lose this understanding, we're just going to get up in the morning and do whatever we want because it feels good for the day. And this will destroy our lives. Brothers and sisters, especially young folks, listen to me. There is a point to life. There is a God who is living, and there is an outcome after you die. And you had better be prepared for it. And when you understand and recognize it, it will change your behavior now because you will be looking ahead. And so because our culture has lost any semblance of this idea, it's any wonder that we have rampant depression and suicide? Is it any wonder that people turn to drugs and to violence and to crime that are unhappy with the way things are but don't know what to do about it? That we attack each other and eat each other up and, and, and push on each other and, and are always fighting, always at each other's throats because we don't have a base layer of morality? because there is no spiritual foundation for us to build on. 
We don't even value, again, human life anymore. This has been one of the hallmarks of Christianity for, well, since it began, that we have value. You have value because you are created in the image of the almighty God. And we, as people who believe that, should do everything we can to share that knowledge with other people. Imagine not believing that. Imagine not knowing that deep down inside. I hope every one of you who listens to me truly believes that. God knows you. Scriptures say that he knows how many hairs you have. We've got a lot of hair. He knows you. He values you. And we should do that with each other. And so what Paul is telling us here in this passage is we can't just say, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We can't just say, well, we'll just do whatever we want to for the rest of our lives, and then it doesn't matter after that because I'm dead and gone, and it just doesn't matter. No, there is a purpose, there is value, there is an end that we must consider. And then he goes on in verse 33, and he gives us a warning. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's possibly a quote from a Greek philosopher who wrote some plays, or it could just be something that was very commonly spoken in the day. We're not really sure. It was commonly spoken, but why Paul decided to quote it, we're not entirely sure, but it makes good sense, doesn't it? But let me talk about this first part, be not deceived. What does it mean to deceive someone? In this case, it's talking about seducing or leading astray or wandering. And so it is telling us, the scripture is warning us, don't be deceived. Don't wander away. Wander away from what? From the truth that says you have value and that when your physical life is over, you will be destined to one of two places. We cannot wander away from this principle, and that's what we've done. Again, criticizing our own culture, we decide to let everyone, well, if it's your truth, then it's truth. We've taken away any semblance of actual truth. We've let everyone decide what they want to. Do whatever you want to. You're your own boss. There's a lot of truth going on outside of ourselves. It's our job to figure it out. It's our job to abide by it. We cannot wander from it. We cannot let it lead us astray. So who is doing this? Who is deceiving us? Who is actively trying to fool us? and lead us astray and to help us to wander away. Well, the great deceiver is primarily responsible. That's Satan himself. But how does Satan do that? Well, there's a couple different ways. One is our society, as we've mentioned already. We let our society do that. We let our society teach us and influence and mold us by the things that we read, the things that we watch, the things that we do the education that we receive, the books that we read, on and on and on. We let society deceive us, seduce us away into thinking, well, the end doesn't really matter, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to. You know how else Satan does this? Through church. That's actually really a lot of the focus of this chapter. Paul is trying to convince them, listen, People you're listening to, you shouldn't be listening to. You have to go and be part of people who will stand, who will understand and preach exactly what is in here, adding nothing and taking nothing away and misrepresenting nothing. 
God does have a wonderful plan for your life. It's very likely not for you to be rich. And not necessarily to be happy the way we think about happiness. That's a false, evil teaching that is leading people astray. Y'all picked up that, right, what I'm talking about? We have a lot of churches and a lot of problems with this today because no one will stand here and tell you the truth. No one will stand here and say, the Scripture says this, I'm not going to go any further, and I'm not going to retreat any from the Scripture. I'm simply going to say it and explain it the way that God gives me the power to do it and let the Holy Spirit take it and do its work upon your life, whether you like it or not. Because that's truth. And that's the power of God. We can certainly be deceived, we can be misled, and we can be led astray by false prophets. We must be careful for that. Our family can do that too. Some of us have been very, very blessed to grow up in really wonderful families. I'm one of them. Wonderful parents. Amy had wonderful parents. Neither set of parents led us astray. They tried to teach us the right things. And neither was perfect. I'm not perfect. But they tried. But sometimes we'll be in a family that kind of leading us astray. I don't know everyone's individual experience. I don't know where you're at with all that. But brothers and sisters, regardless of your age, I encourage you to stand firm in the Word of God. If your family is leading you to do something, leading you astray, to do something you shouldn't do, then stand for the Word of God. Don't just follow after them. It's easy to do. I'm sorry, it's hard to stand against them, but it's easy to follow, especially when you're young after your family. Brothers and sisters, I've met many, many people who grew up with a family that wasn't leading them the right way, who knew better and took a stand and are better today because of it. What about your friends? Oh, now we're going to get personal, aren't we? What about your friends? Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do your friends deceive you? Did they tell you, oh, it's okay, nobody's going to see? I won't tell anybody. Just one more. You be very, very, very careful who our friends are, especially when we're young, because we want to fit in and be liked, right? Everyone does. It's very, very easy to let someone deceive you, to lead you astray, to seduce you into something you shouldn't do with your friends. You know who else deceives and seduces us astray? We do. You ever do that to yourself? You ever justify your own actions and your own behaviors? I'll just go ahead and raise my hand. We all do it. We like to think, well, it won't matter this once. I can quit anytime I want to. I didn't really hurt anybody. No one will find out. All the little lies we tell ourselves over and over again. And very soon, we're leading ourselves astray, and Satan's happy. We must be careful. Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Don't let your friends fool you. Don't let a slick-talking pastor fool you. Don't let um, anything, your family, don't let anything fool you from what the truth is, and that is we are made in the image of God, and we have a call and a purpose in life. 
And that's what we're deceived about, who we are and that we have value. Don't be deceived in thinking that that poor man who's drugged out of his mind, laying on the sidewalk, is where he should be. That's not living. That's not what God called us to. Don't be deceived at the other end of the spectrum to think that somehow because you're really rich and have all kinds of nice cars and nice houses that that's where God wants you either. You can be just as empty on the inside when you have all of it as when you have none of it. I've been with lots of people in both directions who are as empty and as broken as all get out. The rich people just fake it better. So bad company corrupts good morals. Let's finish talking about that. Bad, that means evil. Evil company. Now this is not talking about an outcome, but talking about something that's worthless. Bad or worthless. Evil. It's not saying that something already has happened. It's just saying that something will come about because of this. What are you doing in your life that's worthless? That's a really hard question, isn't it? Because, boy, do we spend a lot of time doing nothing that's helpful. And a lot of time on things that are worthless. Whether they're evil in the sense that we're thinking or just worthless, we should be careful. Evil communication or bad company. That company is talking about the fact that we're communicating. That's why, depending on your translation, you'll see one or the other of those words very often. And what this is not talking about is our associations. You don't always get to choose who you work with. You don't always get to choose who you're in a class with. You don't always get to choose who you're, you know, traveling with. But you choose... What we're talking about here is the people you choose to be around and associate with in a more intimate way. Who are you choosing as your friends? Who are you spending time with? Who do you talk with? Again, the communication or associate with. Who is your companion? Who do you spend your time with? So evil communication or bad company corrupts. Corrupting, we're going to look at this a couple different ways, and depending on how your experiences in life may change types of things, to corrupt something means uh, you're going to change it from what its purest sense is. Or you're going to spoil it. If you have a piece of food you leave out for a while, it's going to be corrupted. It's going to change into something you didn't want. It's going to spoil. If you have certain type of elements and metal without some type of protection, it's going to corrupt and corrode and change into something you didn't want. The thing about corruption is it happens over time. And see, this is what seduces us and gets us going down the wrong track. Because you can hang around with someone who you shouldn't, who has questionable morals, who doesn't believe like you believe, that there's an almighty God, that we're made with a purpose, and that we have a reason to live. And over time, you're not going to realize as you slowly begin to change like them. And time after time after time, things may be a little bit okay, then a little bit okay. And the next thing you know, you're making decisions and doing things and going places you would never have imagined a year before. All the more reason we must be very careful that we are not deceived that bad company is going to corrupt over time. It will change who we are. 
And what does it change? It changes our good morals. It changes our correct truth. It teaches us that there is no God, that there is no reward at the end, there is no punishment at the end. And if we remove the moral truth from our lives, then what's the point in pursuing it? Let me read you a couple other verses to kind of bring this home. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of a fool will suffer harm. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will. See, brothers and sisters, we are called to not be like this world. And we must first and foremost recognize that we are made in the image of God. And that once this physical life is over, there is a destination that we will go, either heaven or hell. It's very simple. And that if you're not going to one, you're going to the other. And we're born automatically going to hell. And we have to understand that quite literally, thank God, he sent his son, that there is a way we can avoid that penalty. And it's only by knowing our faith in Jesus Christ that we can avoid that. And once we have been saved and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is living, who is alive, who is seated at the right hand of God, then it is our duty to walk in a way that he desires us, to be not deceived into bad company that corrupts our morals. It is our job to stand in front of a lost and dying world and say, no, there is truth. This is not right. I don't care what you think. I don't care what your science tells you. These are the facts. This is the truth. And this is how we should live. It's our job to know that. It's our job to share that and to teach that. And so as we begin to come to a close, we ask this important question, who is influencing you? I said bad company corrupts good morals. What about good company? What does that do? Maybe preserves good morals? Are you spending time with those who love the Lord? A lot of us did that yesterday a couple of times. It was enjoyable. Last Wednesday night, we had a little celebration time. And I just sat there and watched everybody and loved it. No pressure, no big agenda, no massive food to make, maybe except for Pat. And we just hung out and enjoyed each other's company and talked about good things. And eventually the kids ran off and went and played together. And it was beautiful. Because doing things like that, attending this church, attending another biblically sound church, going to these activities, the one that we're going to have next Sunday afternoon. These are important. It helps build these good things in us and reminds us, as iron sharpens iron, that we should be doing these things. But who influences you? And how sure are you that they're doing a good job? Because it's very easy over time to let it creep in. Corruption happens one small step at a time. Bad company corrupts good morals. Are you being corrupted? Remember, you are made 
in the image of God and have a purpose in this life. We're not just wandering around to grab everything we can and run with it. We're here for a reason. And we only have a short amount of time to fulfill that purpose. I want to close by reading the conclusion of this chapter. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. However long we have on this earth, we have a duty. And that duty includes living right. It includes sharing this good news with others. Let me read that in a different translation. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the word of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion, in the Lord is not futile nor wasted, it is never without purpose. We have a purpose. We all have a purpose. And I'm not talking about some grand specific purpose. I'm talking about the grand universal purpose. And that's to know Him and the free pardon of sin. To live a life according to his dictates according to the scriptures and then to spend forever enjoying the reward that we couldn't do on our own that only came through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to a close, I want you to very seriously consider who are you spending your time with and what are they teaching you? Are they corrupting you or are they building you up? Are they influencing you in a positive way or are they drawing you away from the truth? Because if you go out into the world and make friends with the world, it's going to draw you away from the truth. And you're going to be left broken and empty on the inside. God has told the Hebrews in the Old Testament and he's telling you today what you have to do is repent and come to him in order to be safe. Don't turn away and say, well, it's okay. I've got a little bit longer. We've all been on a diet, right? Like every other week or so, we, we try again. How many of you, I'll just tell you a story about me real quick. How many of you have experienced this? You do really good for a couple of days, maybe a week or two, and then you, you, you slip up, right? And, and you eat something you shouldn't, or more of something than you should. And how many times in my life have I thought to myself, well, kind of screwed that up. I guess I'll have a third helping. <laughs> We've all probably done that, right? Well, I've done messed it up. Might as well have some more. We cannot do that with sin. Does that make sense? It's tempting. Well, God forgave me years ago. I'm messing up, but, well, he already forgave me, so I'll just keep on going. It does not and should not work that way. I'm not saying he won't make it to heaven, because I do believe the scripture says that once you've truly been saved, 
that you were sealed until the day of redemption. However, there are rewards in heaven. And there are rewards and penalties here. And the point I'm trying to make is, don't just sit here and think, well, I've already kind of messed up, but I'll just keep going. Just like even though I had two servings of something I shouldn't have had to begin with, doesn't mean I should just go in for three. I should just stop, recognizing I'm already past where I should be. Some of us are already past where we should be. Some of us need to end relationships that we have with people. Some of us need to change them. The point is, don't just double down and keep going. Actually listen to what God wants to tell you and actually change. And so as we have a hymn of invitation, a time for us to reflect on whether or not our company is corrupting our morals and whether or not you believe truly in what God wants you to know. Whether or not you've been saved or whether or not you are still living a life without him. Pray that God would speak into your life. I pray that you would listen to what he has to say. And I pray that you would respond the only acceptable way, which is what the Hebrews didn't do. They should have repented. They should have sought God's favor. But instead they went the other way. Don't do that today. If God is calling you to repent, whether it's for the first time unto salvation or because of something you've done recently, stop and repent and seek Him and let Him change you and protect you. Because just saying, oh well, I'm going on with life. Now you can read in Isaiah what happened. It didn't turn out well. And I can tell you most confidently, it will not turn out well for you either. So let's have a hymn.